Broadcasting from the Superbook Sports Studios, KTUS AM 1060, Tempe, Phoenix, and KSLX HD2, Scottsdale, Phoenix. It's time to hit the field with Extra Point, featuring Kayla Mortallaro and Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060. Tweet the show at KDUS AM 1060 or give us a call at 602-260-1060. The snap is back. The hold is down. You can't miss with this combination. And the Extra Point is good. Hour number two of Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060. It is Monday. It is September 18th. As always, follow along with us online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. We'll take your phone calls at 11.15 today. 602-260-1060 is the number if you'd like to join the program. But let's get hour number two started as we typically do with a reset of today's poll questions and we'll start with the kdos1060.com poll question curious to see the evolution of this question uh who deserves the most blame for the cardinals zero and two start and what i mean by that is it was an overwhelming landslide 100 percent on the coaching staff then at the start of the extra point it was a 50 50 split and right now the coaching staff out in front 58 percent of the vote players trailing at 42 percent Okay. Um, you know, certainly uh, Jonathan Gannon, I guess, would vote for the uh, coaching staff. He said that after the game, among many things. Uh, but we'll see what uh, see how this changes in the next uh, 45 minutes or so. Um, now I'll add one other quick thing that I did not get to in the first hour of the, of the uh, either the sports zone or in the first hour of the extra point. Uh, according to ESPN last night, uh, the Giants had gone 150. One five zero consecutive games when trailing by 21 or more points and not winning until yesterday. 150 straight times. That's over like 50 years. Uh, but that's uh, pretty amazing. 150 games in a row when trailing by 21 or more that they did not win. Wow. And that's kind of interesting to think about with some of the teams that the Giants have had. Well, I got, apparently the last time they actually came back from at least 21 points was in 1949 against the Cardinals when they used to play <laughs> a lot against Louis? the Cardinals. Uh, Cardinals were, they might have been in Chicago then. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, yeah, I think they were in Chicago in 1949. Uh, So we'll answer that question around 1130 here today. Uh, Tossing it on over to Twitter, Bob had a conversation with Ray Fittipaldo of the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. If you missed it, podcast it over at kdos1060.com. But who wins Monday night in Pittsburgh? The Mass is unable to bust out of this tie as it's still a 50-50 split between the Browns and the Steelers. Yeah, we'll see what happens. Obviously, uh, some injury updates and situations already for uh, you know the Steelers. You know, losing Cam Hayward for probably at least half the season from right after he had the groin surgery last week. Uh, and uh, you know, just give you a little stat on him: uh, they averaged four yards per carry with him on the field last season, which ain't great. But they averaged four point six yards per carry to the opponent when he wasn't on the field last year, and it doesn't sound like maybe as much for you know, roughly a half yard, but that is a really big deal. Uh, so that, there's that. Deontay Johnson, uh, you know, their most accomplished receiver. I'm not sure he's their best, but their most accomplished receiver. He's likely out. He's out tonight for sure uh, for you know, with the hamstring injury, and he might be out for several weeks. 
and also Pratt, uh, Pratt Fryermuth, and two of their starting offensive linemen missed practice time last week. Uh, Pat Fryermuth, I think, is a pretty big deal for Kenny Pickett. I think it's even a bigger deal if Johnson's not playing, and he's obviously not playing for at least tonight. Correct. Uh, we'll answer that question around 1130 here on KDOS AM 1060. Let's dive into college football, but we have to start with uh, ASU losing to Fresno State 29 to nothing on Saturday night. It started off with the news that Jaden Rashada was unable to play. He was unable to start the game with an injury that he's going to be missing some time with, according to head coach Kenny Dillingham. So that meant Trenton Bourget got the start. Then he left early in the contest test with a leg injury so insert drew pine it didn't go great for drew pine insert jacob conover uh he then got some time the shutout though loss marked the first time asu was shut out at home since 1988 and that was against usc back in the day um yeah, there's actually at least one report out there that rashad is going to red shirt uh he's done for the season there's going to you know opt for the red shirt and I don't think that would be a bad idea. You have four starting offensive linemen. They're for you know, four of their five projected starting offensive linemen at the beginning of the season, which was all like three weeks ago. Uh, they were out or injured during the game on Saturday. So that's a mess also. Um, and this is a team that just doesn't have a whole lot of, uh, you know, their offensive line is, it, I don't know how good it is, quite frankly, when they're all healthy. Uh, but you know, when you're already down the backups, they don't have much of a chance. And this was really a dismal performance. In fact, I talked to somebody at the Cardinals game yesterday who has gone to ASU games for 30, 35 years. And he thought that was the worst performance that he has ever seen from an ASU team. It's that's so tough uh, because you one you just talked about it, just the lack of depth there that heading into this contest you have. Uh, then in addition to that, you have everything that has kind of set the program back with the previous coaching regime. Uh, Kenny Dillingham now coming in in his first year, getting trying to get that experience as a head coach. Uh, it, this is and then you have on top of that the news about the bull ban, et cetera. There's just a lot there with the football team. I think it's a legitimate question that I ask in the, in the sports zone. Are they going to win a game the rest of the season? Um, you know, I don't necessarily think that they were lucky to beat Southern Utah, which is an FCS school to start the season, uh, but they didn't score in the second half of that game. Uh, you know, they didn't score in the second half last week when they lost to Oklahoma State and blew the second half lead. Obviously didn't score in the second half yesterday, or excuse me, Saturday. And uh, that game on Saturday would have been much worse than 29-0 had it not been for their defense. They made, they made several stands in the red zone, and uh, Fresno State uh, only scored two touchdowns in spite of having numerous chances to put points on the board. Also, ASU turned it over eight times in that game on Saturday night. We'll get into more around ASU football as the week continues. Let's go back to the college football weekend as a whole here. You have Georgia trailing South Carolina at halftime, but they did go on to win 24-14 and shut out South Carolina in the second half. Is this kind of a combination of these things happening where Georgia might be sleepwalking a little bit, or is there maybe uh, still some time to figure out how to gel together, new offensive coordinator, new quarterback uh, trying to, to get their footing? The quarterback's been fine. 
Um, and he's been uh, – he didn't start a game in his life for four years. And uh, you know, remember, he was actually ready to start ahead of Stetson Bennett two years ago and then got beat out at the end of a uh, you know, preseason practice and then has been sitting. And you know, to his credit, uh, you know, Carson Beck did not transfer. Uh, so, But he's been okay. They got uh, pushed around at the line of scrimmage. They also suffered a really key injury to an offensive lineman, and I had not heard what his status is. They're arguably their best offensive lineman. Uh, so they, they, but then they, they just completely physically dominated the second half. Their offensive line and especially their defensive line took over. You know, they they only gave up 32 yards in the second half in this game. Spencer Rattler, who I thought made a lot of good plays and some really good throws in the first half. He had no chance. Valley product, Spencer Rattler. In the second half, he got pummeled. Remember, this is the same offensive line in South Carolina that gave up, you know, I think it was eight or nine sacks in that first game of the season on that Saturday night against South Carolina. Well, specific to uh, the offensive lineman I think you're talking about for Georgia, Amarius Mims, he is set to have ankle surgery. And not good. So, but, you know, they've got – They've got tons of dudes. I mean, they've had, you know, according to which recruiting service you believe in, they've had, uh, you know, no worse than the top two or three recruiting uh, classes in the country, like two or three years running now. Uh, As it comes to Texas and Wyoming, it was a 31-10 victory for Texas, but it was not that easy for the longest time for Texas here. Uh, Quinn Ewers, 11 of 21, 131 yards, two touchdowns. We had warned against this, though, with such a huge spread, a little bit of a letdown here, and and you kind of liked Wyoming. I did, not kind of. Definitely liked Wyoming in this game. Uh, so, you know, they hung in there. They really, there was no chance that they were going to win. Uh, Texas was never in any danger of losing. Uh, lethargic coming off the win over Alabama, I guess is a good way to put it. They Ooh, just kind that of, might be they, a candidate for a word of the day, lethargic. That's spe- especially, that might be my best word of the year because I don't come up with that many good words. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, you know, I, I can strive in the next four months to beat that, but, you know, probably not going to happen. But anyway, uh, they, they they just you know, made a couple of plays in the second half, and one would look like somewhat comfortably in the scoreboard, but it was just kind of, okay, we need to kind of win this game now. But I don't think it was – I was not surprised at the least that they struggled. And Wyoming's not a bad team, by the way. They have a very good defense. Florida State and Boston College, this one was close, 31-29. But, again, these sorts of games tend to happen here in college. uh, So do we really not have any concerns here for FSU? Uh, It was close in the end. Uh, This game was out of control, way out of control. I mean, Boston College scored in the first possession of the game. And then Florida State uh, just pounded them, and they were up 31-10. And then they gave up the last 19 points and 131-29. Uh, ninth consecutive victory for Florida State. Obviously, uh, I mentioned last week when we talked about this game, previewing it, that uh, you know there's the look ahead to Clemson. And actually, the, the weather wasn't as awful as we might have thought it was going to be on Friday. Uh, you know, with the hurricane situation in the East Coast and uh, moving up the coast. But uh, that didn't seem to really play much of a role. In fact, I don't think he played any role. Uh, but uh, Florida State and Jordan Travis, uh, the big thing in this game is it looked like he got hurt. In fact, he was clearly in pain. 
his left shoulder, he took a bad uh, fall. He got, he got sacked, or I think he was actually scrambling, but he got hit. And uh, they went to halftime. And uh, then he came back and played right off the bat. And they came down and scored a couple more touchdowns to start the second half. And he didn't miss any time. But that's maybe something to think about as they look ahead. They play Clemson this week. And uh, you know, Clemson has beaten a couple of inferior opponents after the Clemson started the season by getting manhandled at the line of scrimmage against Duke. Washington here just completely dismantled Michigan State 41-7. to Michael Penix Jr., before he was uh, sitting on the sideline, 27 of 35, 473 yards and four touchdowns. Yeah, I think Michigan State's the story here. I mean, their their program's in complete disarray. You know, needless to say, uh, I don't think anybody thinks Mel Tucker is going to be coaching at Michigan State anymore. And I assume they're trying to negotiate some kind of buyout. He's got a massive contract. Uh, and I mean massive. It's $70, $80 million that they had to figure out how to you know, negotiate that. And I assume that's the only reason that uh, they, you know, he, they haven't already you know, come up with some kind of uh, agreement for him to officially depart. Uh, so we'll see what's going on with that. Uh, this was a, a, a basically a complete mismatch from the start. Uh, Michigan State was highly unorganized more than once. Now, I didn't see this game because it was on one of the pay services, and now I'm not going to waste my time paying to watch a game that I don't really care about. But I saw plenty of highlights, and the Big Ten Network pointed out that they looked like that there, there was a lot of unorganized play. And, you know, they gave up, a, you know, Michigan State allowed 716 yards in this game, and Michigan State's playing, been playing football for a long time. That's the most yards that Michigan State's allowed in any game in school history. Uh, you then have Michigan and Bowling Green, Michigan 31-6 to here. Well, there had been so much talk heading into this contest in general just about the completion percentage of J.J. McCarthy and how he's looked. It was an 8-13 of 13 game for him, 143 yards, two touchdowns, and three picks. Should there be any concern that these margin of victories for Michigan against these opponents are they're not putting up more points than 30 points? Uh, maybe uh, McCarthy was not good. I mean, he threw some bad passes here. It could have been four picks easily. In fact, the, the uh, flea flicker uh, for a touchdown should have been a pick, uh, but it was not. Uh, the good thing for Michigan is that they ran the ball the best that they've run it all season long, and you know that was the big uh, question for me. Or I don't even think it was necessarily a question, but you know I wondered. Why basically, you know, one of the best offensive lines in football for the last two years with most of the same players back had not been able to run the ball against mediocre competition uh, the first you know, couple weeks of the season. They get Harbaugh back now. The three-game suspension is over. Uh, and uh, they play Rutgers, the undefeated Rutgers Scarlet Knights, uh, in game four. Uh, you have Alabama and Florida, South Florida, excuse me, Alabama 17-3. to We had mentioned it on Friday's show. Uh, I wasn't even going to talk about this game, but then uh, Nick Saban goes and says Jalen Milrow is benched to start the game. We're going with Tyler Buckner. I realized there was a bit of a monsoon taking place, and it did suspend the game for a bit of time. But Tyler Buckner was 5 of 14, 34 yards. He then gets benched. Ty Simpson in. He goes 5 of 
nine for 73 yards. Uh, is this just a matter of um, Alabama players not liking what happened to Milrow? Or is this just the fact that the quarterback position is a complete mess and that Alabama is just not that good this year? Well, I talked about it last week. Uh, I actually talked about it a little bit before they played Texas. Their offensive line, I think it's safe to say that, uh, or at least to talk about or consider that this is the worst offensive line that Alabama's had during the Nick Saban era. I mean, how many stud offensive linemen are going to be in the NFL from this group? Uh, I do think that I was shocked that Mill, and I don't use that word often, only when I mean it, I was shocked that he was benched. It wasn't his fault that they lost to Texas. In fact, they would have scored fewer points against Texas if he wasn't for his mobility because uh, he was running for his life for that offensive line, not protecting well in that game. And uh, that happened again against South Florida, which is a really bad team, by the way. They're not good. Uh, I'd, be, I'd be really surprised if they won five games, and it's not like they're playing in the, the they're not exactly playing a murderer's row for a schedule. So this was a surprise. I wouldn't be surprised if Milrow is not back as the. I would. I think he'll be back as a starting quarterback. I don't think that Saban is gonna. You know. You know. You know his pride will get him in the way. Uh, but he made a mistake, and everybody makes him. Even the greatest coach of all time, in most people's opinion, in college football history, uh, he made a error in judgment, and Milrow clearly gives them the best chance to win. Uh, to your point, Nick Saban has already met the media, and Jalen Milrow is back in there. Oh, he is. I did not know that. I mean, I, I, I'm not trying to say something that you know that just makes me look smart or whatever. I, I can do that just by doing my usual deal here. People think I'm smart. <laughs> well, uh, talk maybe, maybe sometimes. <laughs> of course, uh, Colorado State and Colorado here. It was a 43 to 35 overtime victory for the Buffaloes here. The big uh, thing for injury wise is Travis Hunter injured. Yeah. Uh, Deion Sanders saying he could miss three weeks in this contest or from this contest moving forward. Here, it was a heck of an effort by Shador Sanders on the game tying touchdown drive, but certainly uh, this whole game was very sloppy from start to finish and. Uh, questions continue about Colorado on defense. Questions continue on the offensive. Do they have a run game? They don't have an offensive line. This kid's going to get killed. I said that last week. Uh, Sanders has just taken so many hits. Uh, I can't imagine he's going to make it through a season once you get to a much better defenses, uh, especially defensive fronts, that they're going to play the next two weeks against Oregon and USC. Um, you know, he's, you know, I think he, he, he's got tremendous skills, but you know, nobody can uh, take the beating that he's uh, taken so far in a, and make it through a, you know, a 12-game regular season. Uh, the Hunter thing, yeah, he's, he's their best player, in my opinion. I know that uh, everybody looks at the quarterback and, you know, Kuyper last week even saying that uh, Sanders would be the third quarterback in the draft right now. I'm not disputing that, but, you know, Hunter's – Impact. He plays wide receiver and defense, and he's you know that first game against uh, TCU, he had 129 snaps. Uh, and also, you know, I'm going to be really harsh here, and I don't totally mean this, but that kid that from Colorado State, the cheap shot at Hunter, should lose his scholarship. I mean, that was absurd. I mean, if it was the NFL, he would get the largest fine humanly possible. Yeah, that was a dirty, dirty hit. 
It was. There was a lot of that going on. Almost all, if not all, from Colorado State in this game. There were a lot of cheap shots. It reminded me of ASU and the U of A in the 90s when those two teams played the dirtiest football games of anybody in college football. And that's when I was doing the syndicated show, so I was you know, paying attention to those things much more on a national level. And uh, they had the body bag game that one year in Tucson with ASU and the U of A. That game, just from the Colorado State side, reminded me of the cheap shot festivals between ASU and the U of A in the 90s. 602-260-1060, that's the number if you'd like to chime in. We'll take your calls on the other side of the break. We'll also step aside from the football world. Uh, the Arizona Diamondbacks, they sweep the Cubs. We'll find out how their standing is in the NL wildcard race. Every Monday night, check out Ray Adams as he hosts the Monday Night Golf and Lifestyle Show from 6 to 7 p.m. here on KDUS AM 1060. Welcome back to the Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060. As always, follow along with us online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. As promised, 602-260-1060. We'll get to your phone calls in just a minute, but want to make sure we have time for uh, some Arizona Diamondbacks discussion that we'll get to here quickly. Uh, so, you know, there was an emotional feel behind uh, going to New York, losing three or four to the Mets. And that included sending out your aces, Zach Allen and Merrill Kelly. The Diamondbacks returning home. There's a pivotal series here against the Chicago Cubs with National League wildcard implications on the line. And what did the Diamondbacks do? Well, they get a sweep of the Cubs. On Friday, it was a 6-4 to four win. Brandon fought on the mound. He went five and a third, four hits, one rock, six strikeouts on Saturday it needed 13 innings to get the win seven to six Zach Davies uh, he was the starting pitcher four innings there and on Sunday it was a six to two victory here Ryan Nelson that was also Sunday night baseball Ryan Nelson three and a third four hits two runs three walks and three strikeouts yeah basically a bullpen game yesterday for the most part after Nelson left Cattell Marte the big home run yesterday Uh, The Diamondbacks get a well-deserved day off today after playing 17 consecutive days. Uh, uh, And then they have the two big games against the Giants starting tomorrow night. And uh, that's supposed to be Gallon and Kelly pitching those two games at home for the Diamondbacks. The Diamondbacks have obviously dominated the last two weekends against uh, the Cubs. They win three out of four at Wrigley that Thursday through Sunday series. And then they won all three games Needless to say, against them this weekend. So they're ahead of the Cubs now, uh, but you know there are a whole bunch of teams that are you know still in the wild card chase. And you know the Marlins, I keep waiting for them to fall apart without Alcantara and also Solaire, and uh, they're hanging in there. Uh, so they're there. I think that the Phillies, and to me the Phillies kind of long established a while ago, even though maybe not mathematically, that they're going to be the number one wild card. Uh, but, you know, they, they've continued to win some games here. And yeah, I like their pitching staff, which is getting healthier. I wish Aaron Nola would be a little more consistent like he had been in previous years. But, uh, you know, they're at the, you know, I understand you know, Zach Kreiser from Yahoo last week. And we talked to Zach and he wrote a story about, you know, the, the one team that uh, uh, he, he actually, you know, I forgot his ofi- official headline of the phrase, what the headline was. 
Uh, but uh, the one time, the one team, according to Zach, that he thinks has pretty much the best chance to beat the Braves in the National League. I'm kind of on the Brewers' side there, but the Mar- the Phillies, I think, are comfortably, even though not comfortably mathematically ahead, but they're they're going to be certainly one of the wild cards in the National League. Yeah, to your point about everything being so bunched up, uh, the Phillies 81 and 68, the Diamondbacks 79 and 72. Then you have the Cubs and the Marlins at 78 and 72, and then a half game back is the Reds at 78 and 73, and the Giants are two games back, who the Diamondbacks will play next here, starting tomorrow. Uh, as it is for these teams that are all vying for the National Wild Card spots, the Twins are at the Reds, the Mets are at the Marlins, and then the Phillies are at the Braves here today. You only got 14 more days in the regular season. We'll uh, save any American League conversation for a little bit later. We don't want to hold you up any longer. 602-260-1060 is the number, and we go out to the KDOS hotline. Alan Phoenix, what's on your mind today, Al? Hey, Bob, I know you've been doing this for a long time, but do you think that ASU's reached the absolute bottom of the football program? I would think so. Well, for them, I mean, that's, uh, you know, going back to my days in Tucson when I was a a high school student in the early 70s in ASU, I wanted to go to ASU because they had a tremendous football program with Danny White and, and, uh, you know, know, J.D. Hill and all those dudes and all those running backs they used to have, and they were fun to watch on defense. Uh, And then they went through the uh, Cush departure, Going uh, obviously he had to be fired and had to move on. Right. Uh, and then I was here for the first part of the Dirk Cutter you know, regime, basically, when I first got here. And there were some lean days there. But, I mean, this is terrible. Uh, and uh, as I mentioned, uh, somebody that's, uh, you know, you know part, part of the media that we know, that I've known for a long time. I'm not going to identify him by name here on the air because it was a confidential conversation or kind of, you know, just a couple guys chatting during the card uh, before the Cardinals game started yesterday. He's been going to ASU football games and working ASU football games for at least 30 years, and uh, he thought that Saturday night was the worst performance he's ever seen. Oh, Al just Ooh. dropped there. All right. Well, give okay, us a call back, Al, 602-260-1060. I he agrees or disagrees with that. <laughs> um, along these lines here, the, the narrative is that, you know, athletic director Ray Anderson should move on uh, to give this program and this athletic department a, a clean slate. Do you think that that would help in the process of uh, restoring any confidence that has been lost? Well, it just depends on what the university's preferences are. Yeah, I think we've all heard and I've been told that yeah, Michael Crow's actually been pleased with Ray Anderson because their uh, academic standard amongst the athletes is really in, you know there's no that's you know factual evidence has increased since he's been there. And then the non uh, you know the two sports we talk about the majority of the time on this show uh, would be football and basketball. Uh, yeah, basketball has had some success. Football, the the model, uh, the pro model that they brought in here when Herm and uh, yeah Herm was a client of Anderson when Anderson was a agent back in his uh, prior days. Uh, that uh, completely backfired. So if you're against the Anderson thing, that you know just look at the you know revenue generating sports, I guess. But it doesn't seem uh, that that is Michael Crow's primary objective or the way that he evaluates an athletic director. 
60260. Yeah, Al is back. <laughs> Sorry, I agree with you, actually. I think you're 100% right. I wasn't saying it because of that. But, uh, and it, I've heard that there's a Ray and- Fire Ray Anderson van going around ASU. I don't know if that's true or not, but uh, Michael Crow really likes him, though, a lot. That's true. Uh, mentioned that, the mentioned the reasons why. So at least that's for what we've been told. And yeah, I know what he said a couple times. So yeah, Michael Crow in athletics maybe don't quite match. I mean, remember he was the guy that uh, was this. He basically spearheaded Larry Scott to keep a job for several years. And yeah, he was. Uh, you know, I don't think anybody disputes this now. That uh, when a lot of uh, you know people within the conference uh, thought that they should move on from former commissioner Larry Scott, uh, he was the guy that kind of rallied others around him, presidents or whoever, uh, to keep Larry Scott as the commissioner for too long. And I also think that Larry Scott takes a bit of a bad rap because it wasn't uh, he didn't hire some. You know, they've gone through the conference has gone through a billion athletic directors and football coaches in the last few years, and he didn't hire those guys. Uh, so the schools have to be somewhat responsible for their own demise. I think uh, Michael Crow wanted to keep the Pac-12 together too. He wanted to stay in the conference. True. Yeah, that, that, that would be true for better or for worse there, but. Uh, I think that they'd be better. They'll be better going to the to the Big Twelve, but they got to figure out a way to compete, because the Big 12s, uh, with the exception of this year, when it looks like certainly the Pac-12, ironically, in its final year, uh, is the best it's been in football in a in a long time, at least a decade. Uh, that uh, you know, it's going to be. Uh, an interesting shift because it may not be as good as the Pac-12 this year, but the Big 12 seems to have a brighter future, certainly, than the demise and the, the you know, Oregon State and Washington State and the Mountain West Conference, I assume. There's going to be some kind of merger. I would assume those two schools join the Mountain West Conference, I would assume, pretty quickly. In fact, I kind of, every time I see a headline that involves Oregon State and Washington State, I think the next thing that's going to come is they're joining the Mountain West. As always, we appreciate the phone calls, 602-260-1060. It's time to turn our attention to the poll questions. On the other side of the break, it's the Extra Point. Welcome back to the Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060. It's Monday. It's September 18th. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro with you up until noon today as we typically do. Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. And it is now poll question time. So we turn our attention here to the first one, the KDOS 1060.com poll question. And the question is, who deserves the most blame for the Cardinals 0-2 start? Options, the coaching staff, or the players? Okay, I, I got a text message from a friend of mine wondering why I didn't put the uh, front office in this list because I, the reason is is I think the front office is doing the right thing, that they should have you know, scrapped this and started over, which we said at the end of the Kingsbury era, that they should just you know, basically let everybody go as humanly possible and not try to do anything for this year. I wasn't necessarily insinuating that they tanked the season, uh, but you know, just you know, start from scratch is, was my kind of uh, you know, my my moniker back in January, 
And that really hasn't changed any. So that's why the front office is in there. I think that they've done the right thing. I don't think that there's anything that they could have done yesterday, quite frankly, as far as a coaching situation. They just don't have very many good players, and they know they don't have very many good players. And if anybody wants to dispute that, um, I don't think this has changed from two weeks ago. But, you know, that initial waiver wire period, uh, the Cardinals had the most players claimed on waivers than anybody in the league. And since then, they've claimed two or three more guys, and those guys played yesterday. So this is just, they just don't have good players, and they're not going to have good players this season. Hopefully, they'll be better next year. But, you know, I don't think that there's anything that any coaching staff could have done yesterday uh, to really, uh, you know, prevent them from, you know, quote blowing that game if you don't have competent nfl players at multiple in most positions you're gonna lose and they're gonna lose damn near if not every game this year i'm shocked that they've actually had the lead in the fourth quarter of the first two games uh but it's not like washington and the giants are going to the super bowl anytime soon yeah, I'm actually glad to hear that your friend texted you about, like, why isn't the front office in here? Because the way that I was originally thinking this question through is that your players are who your players are, and that's a byproduct of, you know, the decisions that are made with the coaching staff in the front office. And we've talked a lot about in the offseason, you know, that we're on board with this decision this year uh, to strip down uh, the roster and get in players that they uh, kind of want to build around. And so that's going to take some time plus Monty Austin for putting himself in position with the Texans uh, first first uh, first round pick and, and what they could potentially do moving forward so I was kind of like well there's a little bit more nuance behind all of this but if we're going to look specifically here then at uh, who deserves the most blame then for the 0-2 start I'm actually going to go uh, coaching staff because it was a little puzzling here to me uh, the decisions that were made that led to Josh Dobbs then having uh, the week one start. And we saw, obviously, the dividends that it is for him to be within the the system and with practicing with his teammates for more than 11 days. But that decision or whatever uh, to make all of that happen with zero practice ahead of week week one really didn't put you in a position to have offensive success, didn't really put you in a position to have uh, the ability to, to win those games and put up offensive of points. Uh, And then if we look at yesterday's contest here, you had such a commanding lead. So how were you not able to play better complementary football to allow the defense to try to get off the field, sustain some drives? We talked about it in that fourth quarter that they had it uh, for just three minutes and 33 seconds and amassed 13 yards. So I can't imagine that the Giants did anything significantly different, uh, you know, from the first quarter, second quarter to the fourth quarter. So I'm I'm going to put this actually on uh, the coaching staff. Okay. I can buy that to some extent. You know, I wouldn't really blame the Dobbs thing on the coaching staff. I mean, they, this goes, you know, Howard Balzer, when we had him on a couple weeks ago, uh, he talked about how they could have actually had Dobbs weeks ago. Uh, the, the fact that they brought him in less than three weeks before the season started, they finally got a trade for him then. It's not like he wasn't available before. And, uh, you know, he has certainly the you know, coaching staff is familiar with him, at least some of the coaching staffs familiar with him, et cetera. Uh, but also there's no question that the Giants, you know, once they were kind of smelling blood, you know, they play a lot more guys at the line of scrimmage in the second half of that game than they did the first half.
Yeah, they absolutely did that. Uh, and the Cardinals were unable to really get a push there in the fourth. I know they tried a couple of different times, bringing in three tight ends for a couple of different plays to, to try they, to run the ball. They ran a lot of plays. You know, they ran a lot of plays with three tight ends. And even when they, they helped, that helped them build the lead. Uh, they had a lot of three tight end sets. As it is now, this you know started off, I have to mention this because this has been on quite a journey here with this poll question. So we started the 9 o'clock hour with the coaching staff at 100% of the vote. Then we started the 10 o'clock hour with a 50-50 split. Then we started the 11 o'clock hour with a slight lead with the coaching staff. And now we're on the player side of things, 54% of the vote, coaching staff sitting at 46%. Have to get one of those chronological things like they do those charts on election night or whatever. You know, the up and down of the uh, you know, precincts are in and you know, the electoral college votes for the big states are in and whatever. Maybe we need to do that for the Cardinals vote here. Well, I mean, I'd also be curious, too, when you run the numbers and it gives you the odds of like to win. Right. Uh, when we started off at the coaching staff, 100 percent of the vote to start uh, the nine o'clock <laughs> hour. What were the odds for the coaching staff to win? There so you go. and then I'm how sure it, ESPN will I'm sure ESPN will provide that because they do everything analytically. Uh, you know, I did see a scrolling across the ticker when it was talking about USC and ASU's contest. And I think it was like a 33 and a half point spread. And then ESPN had a 98 percent chance for uh usc to win that game so yes to your point is that a first half line Uh, i think it was a game line but uh yeah i understand the i understand the little ribbing there it's Uh, not really ribbing i mean just looking going by facts they scored 49 points in the first half against stanford and then set all their starters in the second half True. KDOS1060.com, that is that poll question. Let's flip it on over to Twitter at KDOSAM1060. Bob had a conversation with Ray Fittipaldo of the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. If you missed it, podcast it, KDOS1060.com. So who wins Monday night at Pittsburgh, the Browns or the Steelers? And, uh, man, this is a tough one for me because – you know, I, I want you know, we talked about it when we previewed the AFC North that we thought that this Browns team had a very good chance to be good this year. And it all kind of hinged upon, you know, how is St- Kevin Stefanski going to help Deshaun Watson uh, have success? We really like Nick Chubb as a running back. In addition to that, can Deshaun Watson get back to being the quarterback he was several years ago with the Houston Texans or at least be better than he was last year? So. These are question marks that I still feel like aren't answered after week one. Part of that being the weather conditions that they were they were forced to play in. So I'm not really sure we have a complete answer yet as to what I think about uh, Deshaun Watson and the offense there. In addition to that, we know Jim Schwartz is a really good defensive coordinator. They have uh, plenty of guys to wreak havoc on the defensive side of the ball for the Browns. How much of it, though, is the Bengals offensive line situation being in peril? How much of it is that it seems like the Browns just have the Bengals number right now? Uh, so I'm kind of like a little trepidatious to go all in on this Browns team. In addition to that, maybe some of it is just uh, narrative based when it comes to the Steelers that can a Mike Tomlin coach team really start 0-2 with both games being at home? And then you had extra time to get ready for this Monday night contest, and it's going to be a divisional opponent. We know it's going to be uh, tough sledding. Uh, I have question marks about Matt Canada as offensive coordinator. We saw success in the preseason. Didn't see any of that success carry over into week one. So what sort of offense are we going to get here? Uh, I guess the narrative is winning out 
out for me. I just can't see the Steelers going 0-2 with both of these games coming at home. So I'm going to say the Steelers in a close one. I'm on the Steelers, too. Actually, I'd be more accurate. I'm on the under, which didn't exactly work out too well for me in a, you know, like multiple games over the weekend. <laughs> so, But I'm, you know, I've already already made an investment on the under on this game, so we'll see how it goes. And I think one of the biggest things to watch for tonight is that the right tackle situation for the Browns, Jack Conklin, uh, who unfortunately has been injured frequently in his career, has a, you know, a, an extreme knee injury, went down that first game. He's out for the season. Jawan Jones is a starting uh, starting at right tackle tonight. He's an Ohio State guy uh, who actually got worse during his career at Ohio State and was considered to be a you know, really almost a lock first-round pick when he was like a sophomore at Ohio State. By the time he came out in the draft, he ended up being like a third-round pick. And he's going to try to block T.J. Watt. Good luck with that. And also, you know, I think this matters as much. But you know, Amari Cooper has been a late injury add to this game, and he's questionable for tonight for the, uh, for the Browns. Uh, the masses unable to get themselves out of the 50-50 split, so that's where things are at. Also, in addition to that, uh, we'll talk about it a bit on the other side of the break, but there is a, another contest going on Monday night with the Saints and the Panthers. When it comes to the lines, the Saints minus three, Panthers plus three, over under 39 and a half. The Browns minus two and a half, Steelers plus two and a half, over under sitting at 38 and a half. We'll wrap up this Monday edition of Extra Point on the other side of the break. He is Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro. One more to go with you on this Monday, September 18th. Social information about KDUS AM 1060, try KDUS1060.com at KDUS AM 1060 on Twitter and Facebook.com slash KDUS AM 1060. September 18th edition of Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060 online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. Bob, it's thank you time. As always, we thank you for listening. Special thanks to the callers, emailers, tweeters, texters, whomever and whatever else sips the cracks. Also, our guest today, singular, Ray Fittipaldo, longtime guest. Uh, the talk Steelers with us from the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. Uh, we have many good guests on the show, and he's one of the best. So always appreciate talking to Ray. And uh, he has uh, the uh, the Browns winning tonight in Pittsburgh. Uh, Sound of the day courtesy of Fox, CBS, ESPN, uh, FS1, Pac-12 Networks, and also NBC. 
Special thanks, as always, as always, he tried to say, to Kayla, Corey, and Aaron. And Kayla's going to tell us what's coming up next. That's right. Up next from noon to 1 o'clock, it is Sports Map Radio Network, followed by the Doug Gottlieb Show from 1 to 3, the Rich Eisen Show from 3 to 5, the Sports Zoo with Dave Rooster Bierstein from 5 to 6, Monday Night Golf with Ray Adams from 6 to 7, and uh, James Out West from 7 to 8 tonight. As we had mentioned going to break, there's two games for Monday Night Football tonight. It's the same at the Panthers, 4.15 p.m. on ESPN, and the Browns at the Steelers at 5.15 p.m. on ABC. For me, looking at this Saints and Panthers contest here, uh, I have questions about whether or not the offensive line can protect Bryce Young. Also, what wide receivers does he have with DJ Chark listed as questionable? There's also no J.C. Horn for the Panthers. Boy, his uh, short career here in the NFL has been marred by injury, unfortunately. So the questions are, can Carr uh, and Chris Olave, Michael Thomas, uh, really do some damage there to the Panthers secondary. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I don't know if Chark's all that good. I mean, he had one really good season in Jacksonville. Uh, so he's been out for you know the majority of the summer and preseason and everything else to this point. Uh, also, you mentioned the offensive line. Brady Christensen, one of their starters, went on injured reserve uh, since the last game, so he's out. Uh, and the, I think one thing to watch tonight, which I never really thought about when I watched him in Alabama or um, when I saw highlights in the preseason, is Bryce Young's arm strength is being questioned around the NFL by more than a couple of people. Uh, so I'm going to see if he can make the long throws, uh, if he has time to make the long throws. <laughs> Once again, uh, Saints-Panthers 4.15 ESPN, Browns-Steelers 5.15 p.m. on ABC. Uh, there was PGA action going on last week. It was at the Fortinet Championship in California, and Sahith Tagala, we've talked about him numerous times when we've previewed different uh, tournaments. He picked up his first PGA Tour win, 21 under par. Justin Thomas finished in fifth at 15 under par. Of course, he was getting prepped and ready to go for the Ryder Cup, which is coming up here uh this week uh well soon yeah it's coming up from rome as always thank you for listening to the extra point right here on kdos am 1060 and bob kemp will be with you tomorrow starting at 9 a.m enjoy the games and bob will talk to you then